Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at Arroya.io. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Arroya Office Hours Live. My name is Keisha. I'll be your moderator for today's discussion. A couple of reminders before we get started. This is your chance to hear from the experts, get answers in real time about data you're seeing with your grow, and share cultivation tips and tricks with other growers in this exciting industry. We thank everyone in advance for not using this time for things like airing policy or industry grievances or asking about Arroya pricing, although you are always welcome to book a demo. Feel free to type your questions in the chat at any time, and if you're question is selected, we'll have you unmute yourself and ask away. Plus, as a special treat, we're sending an Arroya hat to anyone who asks a question for the first time during today's live session. We are limiting that to U.S. residents only and one hat per household. Jason, Seth, how are you guys? I'm doing well today. How are you, Keisha? Doing good. Good to see you. All right. Are you ready for our first question, which comes from Instagram? Yes. All right. So B Scott wants B Scott one wants to know, can you explain DS over M? It is how you guys show EC basically, but how do I turn a five DS over M into an EC number? I'm having a problem understanding this unit of measure. Sure. So what that is, is decisiemens per meter. And the reason that we use that is because it's actually the raw value that, um, EC is derived from, and it's also much more consistent across, um, countries or, or units. So EC, there's a unit of measure that's based on the EC um, PPM 500 um, and then if PPM 700 scales. And so it gets really confusing. If, if someone's talking in the PPM scales, it sometimes is not defined which scale they're using. And so you can be off by a fairly significant number. So by using decisiemens per meter to communicate this, one, we're not translating it into a PPM number. Um, PPM being parts per million. And also number two is it's the, the only units that are consistent from country to country. Uh, there is no scaling. Anything that's in decimals per meter is going to be that same value under those units. Yeah, I think you nailed it there. Um, the main thing I look at is PPM is you know parts per million. That's math I'm doing milligrams per liter when I'm mixing my nutrients. EC is my verification that my math was correct. And uh, if it wasn't, I'm going to look at like, okay, <laughs> not weigh something correctly or maybe get my water tested, see if I've got some alkalinity issues or, you know, I'm coming in with a little more dissolved solids in my water than I thought. And I think we've, we've covered kind of how you can um, translate it as well. If you are using Array, you can go into the setup menu and choose um, PPM 500 or PPM 700 if you'd really rather do it that way. I always try to encourage people to, to start using decimals per meter. If you're not, um, start getting used to it. It's it's kind of the way that the way that things are going in this industry um, have been going in agriculture industries for quite a while. Do a Google, Google search on it. You'll have lots of articles about people saying the exact same thing we are now. Um, and they'll also give you some conversion charts uh, that we've displayed in those earlier episodes. Great. Yeah, we love translating the data. So anybody who's on with us today, you got some data you want to help, uh, need some help understanding, please let us know. Let's talk about it. Our next question comes from Nobody1190. They want to know, how important is it to have a dryback period? I usually slightly overwater and let it dry. 
there's a lot of aspects to this one here. Um, it's really important to have a dry bag period. If we irrigate our plants all night long, one, the roots are going to become stagnated. I like to think about it just as, as lazy behavior. If they don't have to work to seek out the water, they're not going to engulf your entire media. Um, they're not going to work hard to get that plant as exercised as possible for full growth. Um, the other challenge there is uh, you're, you're going to be a little bit more susceptible to diseases and pests if you keep your water that, that high overnight. Yeah, I mean, aside from overwatering being a huge problem, also, we're, you know, when we're overwatering, we're promoting an anaerobic environment in there potentially because we're not pushing in. I mean, by overwatering and not having a dryback period, we're not necessarily giving it time for oxygen to penetrate down into the root zone. Not only are those roots not searching because they're lazy, but they don't have a path to follow if we're just hydrated the whole time. Um, the other side of that is for plant development, spacing out those irrigations is actually pretty crucial to some of our crop steering strategies. So if you're trying to run over water all the time and not giving it a dry back, my best advice would be to move into a bubble bucket. If that's how you want to grow, you're going to have less problems. And... Uh can you detail what a bubble bucket is for the rest of us here? Deep water culture. All right. Yep. Good old DWC runs. Oh, yeah. DWC is pretty cool. We've, we've yep. got some people that we work with that um, employ ES2s for monitoring their EC content in some of those DWC buckets. And uh, obviously, it's a, it's a lot, a lot different um, a lot different world for a crop steering when, you, when you're a bucket of water. So a little better now. Hey, there he Perfect. is. Perfect. A lot better. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Um, our next question actually came from one of our clients. They were asking about our sensors. Are they okay to charge in direct sunlight? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. They'll they'll charge up pretty fast um, under sunlight. And um, really, the only caveat there is if they they need to be operating already um if if the flashing light doesn't come on then uh, it could be in like an under voltage lockout for not being used for a really long time um in that case you want to contact our customer support and seek out a solution that way yeah and just like anything else bringing in from outside if you're talking about direct direct sunlight like hey i'm gonna go charge these things out on the picnic table um might not be the best idea for the same reason as you you know don't always want to wear the same clothes from outside inside of your flowering room just careful about bringing in pests if you're thinking about charging them in direct sunlight. So many considerations. Thank you to our client for submitting that question. And I mean, this is really the time. If anybody on the call today has any tech questions about the product, about our sensors, we want to hear from you. So please do type a question in the chat and we'll get that answered. All right. Turp Queen LA wants to know, how does Arroyo ensure that all my data is secure and protected? It's a great question. It's it's one that uh, you know we've gotten many times, and we've spent a lot of energy uh, making sure that it is as protected and, and safe and private as we possibly can do. So, all, all of the client data is stored on uh, Amazon Web Services cloud servers, and so outside of Meter Group, I mean AWS is one of the largest data servers in the world. They're spending millions, um, if not more, on ensuring as much encryption as possible for any of that data. So uh, it's, it's a great resource for us to, to obviously tap into investment they've spent on protecting that. Um, internally here at Meter, uh, we are, are very close to our ISO 9001 uh, data security verification. 
And so that'll basically certify that the practices we're using internally um, are as safe as possible and that any of those data liabilities are as reduced as we can invest in. And uh, same, same lines as that as far as you know, industry standards go, we are um, getting pretty close to finalizing our SOC 2 Type 2 certification as well, which is uh, another data security certification that we see across um, a lot of the technology industries. Yep, your data is secure. No one else gets to see it and uh, unless you tell us to send it to them, basically. And even then, we'll give it to you first. We're, we're not going to get in the middle of that. Yeah, and I guess that brings up another thing is just, um, you know, at, at, the, at your facility itself, um, it is good to do diligence to, to protect your own um, data security as well. So making sure you're not leaving PCs up and, and logged into, um, you know, admin user, uh, that types of stuff. So we do encourage people to, to test out the kiosk mode. Uh, it runs on tablets. Use the Roya mobile app. Jump into the facility that you want to show information from and click on the kiosk mode. The kiosk mode is going to be um, not logged into any user specifically, so it's a safe way to display data, room-specific data um, in a hallway or, or to maybe to some guests that you might want to share it with. Also having, you know, say a pretty comprehensive guest profile set up as a user role on your Arroyo platform can be really useful. So you're not giving out privileges to people that you want to see some data, but not all of it. Um, understanding those permissions is pretty key, I think, because something I've definitely seen is uh, giving someone access and then no one thinks about it until six months after that person's gone. And then they decide, oh, we don't want them to have access you can be proactive, give people access to certain things and still not put yourself in a position where they can get value out of your data down the road. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, Seth. Uh, kind of just to build on what you're talking about there in the Arroyo setup panel, uh, jump into your staff pages and say manage roles. This is where you can create any custom roles that you want. I think there's three by default, uh, I mean, admin, user, and guests. And so you're welcome to rename those, build more if you need uh, a little bit more detail to those profiles. And there's a ton of options that are going to allow certain features or disable different features, um, showing certain data, making modifications, et cetera, based on that, that role. Uh, another thing there that you know, we've encountered sometimes in the past is you know, make sure that you have um, uh, an Arroyo, someone that's uh, responsible for maintaining Arroyo at your facility. And so when you have employees that leave uh, your company, remove them from Arroyo access to, you know, secure any of your data that you have. If, uh, you know, if, if maybe there's a little bit of turmoil on some of the employment, just make sure that you're prepared and you have access to your Arroyo site and that you're doing everything you can for, for new employees to come in and be able to access that stuff um, without having the liability of, you know, maybe someone that has quit or, or been terminated is the only admin on that that facility, um, so that that'll just help help keep the headaches down uh, through the transitions that inevitably happen in, in any company. Excellent advice. That's such a great question. I'm glad we touched on that. Um, all right, I've got a question from our friend High Fuel OG. They write, "I'm at about day forty of flower. Some strains in my garden are showing signs of stress. Red stems, leave curl, leaves curl downwards, stunted growth on a few. I think it is due to overwatering slash overfeeding. Without properly diagnosing the problem, what would be the best way to flush out my substrate without shocking the plants?" 
oh, I wouldn't make any changes until you properly diagnose it. Um, I'm not sure I agree immediately with uh, with what I'm hearing, uh, you know, as far as uh, too high of EC, obviously without having some data looking at the historical data, typically red stems will indicate just the opposite of that. But like I says, in, until you do properly diagnose it, uh, I would be hesitant to especially flush. I don't like to ever flush. Um, so I don't even like to say flush, but uh, yeah, uh, definitely avoid running straight RO. And, and before you make any changes, uh, break it down into to what the real issue is. Take a look at what your environmental factors are. You know, is your VPD in range? Uh, are your daytime humidities and temperatures where you want them to be? Are they stable? Are your nighttime humidities and temperatures where you want them to be? Are they stable? And, uh, you know, thinking about light sourcing, about nutrient composition, quite a few things that, uh, that can go into that. And obviously one of the easiest ways, if, if it is feel like a, a nutrient, uh, issue, then take a look at our, our cultivation quick start, run, run on some of that, talk to your nutrient supplier, get an idea if, um, if you're running within the ranges that they suggest, uh, and actually from some nutrient suppliers, we usually recommend even going quite a bit higher than they recommend. And mm. so, uh, you know, if, if you do break down into a nutrient issue, then send out for a leaf, cert, uh, a leaf tissue analysis and uh, see, see what that composition balance looks like. Most of those labs will give you kind of a recommended ranges and they'll highlight any of the um, components, any of those elements that are above or below the wide acceptable ranges that they have by default. Yeah, if you're, you know, when you're trying to diagnose plant symptoms without data, it's going to be next to impossible just because we've got so many plants. A weak plant looks like a weak plant. Yes, there's a lot of different symptoms we can look at, but without, you know, like Jason or I physically being there and looking at the plant, it's really hard to use someone else's eyes or even a camera to say. And even then, you want to look at as many data points as you can when trying to diagnose that. You know, um, if the instinct is to change up, you know, say lower your feed, we want to flush like, well, we can also keep feeding the same EC and push a little more runoff and flush out. If we say go plug our solace meter into it and say, oh, wow, it's got an 18 high point EC, 11 low point. I think that's too high. Okay. I don't personally think that all the time, but if that's your feeling, then you at least have, okay, here's how the plant looks. And here's another data point I can go by. If we only go by how the plant looks every time and we don't have any water content data, any EC data, and even humidity data, you know, our watering schedule or our watering strategy might be great, but if our environment's not in line, the plant's not going to be able to use that water the way we want it to. Exactly. I mean, until you diagnose which issue it is, if you modify an issue that isn't the, the root of the problem, then you're actually going to make things compoundingly worse. Uh, and they're just now, and Seth said flush. He didn't mean to say flush. He actually meant to say lower substrate EC. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I got to quit using that word sometimes. Not not to get too, uh, too up, up in here. No, we just got to throw that word away. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, and you know, to speak to what Jason says, that's why when people say flush, we get a little worried because that ranges from lowering the EC in the substrate to physically trying to flush salt out with RO water and, you know, extreme overwatering and runoff. So that's why we get a little jumpy at that term. It's a dirty word for us, <laughs> uh, but totally the numbers really don't lie when it comes to the data. 
Um, yes, we've got a couple of new folks who just joined us. Welcome to Arroyo Office Hours. If you have any questions, feel free to type it in the chat so we can address it live. We have some folks here labeled Cultivation Team. They just posted a question. Do you want to go ahead and unmute yourself and ask away? Hey, how's it going, guys? Um, we're going over a green truck. Seth's actually our, uh, our Arroyo representative who we meet with every week. So. How's it going, guys? But uh, my question is, I've been looking at the um, moisture content reader on the drying side of the plants, and uh, I'm just wondering what are some of the real key benefits from that system? We're looking at getting it, but it's kind of a big investment, and I just really kind of see what we get out of it. Yeah, so that's the, the Aqualab system. Uh, we've been producing the Aqualab system for quite a few years, some of the largest cereal and jerky brands, um, snack bar brands use our Aqua Labs. And actually a lot of the certification labs that you send um, your final product into to, to be ready for the, the market, to be ready for resale, use our Aqua Labs as well. So it, it's a very high precision water activity meter. And so water activity is slightly different than moisture content. When we're talking about water activity, that's actually the the water energy that's in there and so this is water that could be available for mold or mildew growth what happens is based on the composition of different products the moisture content can actually be slightly different um, and and so the mold growth isn't as directly the liability from mold growth isn't directly as related to moisture content as it is to water activity and so that's why we definitely encourage people to use that as far as in application on the dry side what, what you're going to be doing is, is taking periodic samples. Uh, I recommend, you know, taking, say, five samples a day uh, from that drying room and, and start to attribute how quickly that you're seeing um, moisture loss, drop in water activity from the parameters that you're drying at. This will help you hit your target water activity, and it'll tell you when you can take that product out of the room. It's going to keep your, your wet weight, or your, excuse me, it's going to keep your dry weight up so you have you know, let's say we're shooting for a 0.6 water activity and we're usually drying at a 0.5 to 0.55. We can get quite a bit more weight out of our product and we can protect the terpene profile within that. So it's, it's a great way to standardize what you're doing in there. Historically, we hear a lot of the bend or snap test. And while it is effective for people that have done it, uh, it, it is different for everybody. You know, what SNAP means to me is probably even just a little bit slightly different than what SNAP means to, to Seth over here. And so that that's kind of the one way when it comes to industry and, and employee turnover, you, you can make sure that the product that you're getting to the shelf is the same one that you've been producing or, or better. You know, always trying to be continuous improvement by implementing standardized procedures. Uh, pretty exciting for us. Uh, next week, we're going to be doing the first... Aqualab integrated into Arroyo. And uh, so we're getting pretty close to having some of that, that software finalized where your Aqualab can actually just push those readings directly into what we're calling the dry module in Arroyo. Uh, and that's really nice, you know, rather than having to, to record this manually and input it into Arroyo, that, that can be going right into our system. And, uh, and down, down the line here a little ways, we'll be employing uh, some algorithms to help you guys know exactly when to take this out. So rather than maybe always taking it out on day 10, you know, that we want to be taking it out at 10, 15 on day 10. Um, yep. So just 
just a great way to document one of the most important parts of, of the cultivation cycle. Cause obviously over our grow cycle, we're putting a, a ton of energy, a ton of investment into making the best product grow as we can. And then here in a short period of time, we can lose some of that investment unless those controls are kept tight. Absolutely. You know, we, uh, we all hate to watch grams go up into the air. That's just literally money evaporating in front of our faces. It depends how they're going up in the air. Well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> we preferably want to use heat, not cold to get, you know, <laughs> we don't want it to happen without our intervention. That's for sure. But yeah, I mean, the end goal is, uh, more retaining more of the product you grow basically and actually making it to market. I know, uh, it's just kind of like having a conversation about packaging and kind of automating that. I don't know. Most of you guys out there have kind of sat there and watched an open bag or bin sit there for a few hours while someone's hand-loading jars. You're just like, that's got to be getting drier and drier and drier over this two-hour period or whatever, you know? So you can even sample all the way through and use the Aqualab to tune, say, the rest of the facility and start to really stop losing grams to the air. We're not, we're not the alcohol trade. Our, our product's not supposed to evaporate. <laughs> I got to ex- expand on what Seth's saying there as well. We ha- we've got quite a few existing clients that already use our, excuse me, our Royal Climate Stations in their dry rooms. Uh, they'll put them in their trim rooms, in their storage rooms, and uh, really kind of start to keep control of that. So, you know, if we, if we talk about what water activity is, it's basically the humidity of in the product. So if we're done drying at, say, 0.55 or 0.6, uh, if we keep it in a room that's at, 55% or 60% humidity, then that, that water activity actually shouldn't change. Uh, and so it's a good practice to, uh, you know, keep an eye on, on what your trim rooms look like and, and how long your product is exposed to environments outside of the ranges that you're shooting for. And I think uh, er, early in this series, might have been episode four, five, I'm shooting in the dark here, but uh, we had Susan Newman on here, who's uh, one of our dry technology experts, and and she actually jumped in on one of these uh, office hours to to talk a little bit more about what we were doing. Um, obviously, we're we're getting closer to to that release now as well. But uh, check out that episode, hit up her team, and uh, we encourage you all to learn more about it. It's it's a what I think is a fairly easy way to protect your investment in cultivation. Awesome. Great question, Cultivation Team. Did you get did you get all your questions answered there? Yeah, no, that was great. Um, I really appreciate it. I'll definitely uh, probably talk more about it with uh, Seth when we do our weekly meetings and uh, probably move forward on getting that. Sounds sounds pretty essential, like you said, especially if we can integrate it into packaging and mm-hmm. really, you know, get a lot more out of it than just, hey, this is in the dry room. We use it every two weeks when we're drying weed. We get an everyday packaging, trimming, all that. But, you know, it sounds like it's really quite crucial. So, no, I really appreciate it. That was awesome. I'll definitely check back at the uh, past episodes as well. Yeah, excellent. So glad you asked today. And if you can stick around after the show, I want to send you an Aurora hat because you asked a question live. So we're so excited by that. We have another attendee who had a question, Shark Mouse Farms. You want to go ahead and unmute yourself and ask away? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. How are you? Pretty good. How you been today? Pretty good. Thank you. Much appreciated. Um, so what I'm wondering is if we're if we're taking our our rooted aeroponically cloned cuttings and we're up potting them to a 
two-gallon pot. What type of irrigation practices should we be looking for as far as volumetric water and content before the roots have had a chance to expand into that unoccupied media? As far as dryback percentages and should we be looking to achieve runoff? Uh, at what point should we be looking to achieve runoff? So, I mean, that largely is going to depend on what the holding capacity of your media is. So if we're only going to hit 55%, you know, volumetric water content, I like to see a 5 to 10% dry back at least overnight before I can start steering. However, you don't want to transplant that and then just wait four or five days till you start seeing that dry back. We want to put some small irrigations on midday in order to keep pumping fresh water and oxygen into that root zone. And as Jason was saying before, give that water a chance to move and those roots something to follow. You know, if the water's not going down, uh, roots don't stand up in the room. They don't know what weighs up (laughs) due to gravity. They're just following the water. So, uh, yep, we just want to not let them totally dry out. We want to avoid having anaerobic condition in there. And then after, you know, days four, five, six, seven, we should start seeing anywhere from that 10 plus percent dry back if everything's going well. And at that point, we can start hitting it, you know, with some of our generative or vegetative cues, depending on the strain and what our goals and veg are. That's that's what I try to do. And, and just kind of keep in mind that, you know, when your root zone is very small, you know, maybe smaller than my fist, and your sensors are down here in a two-gallon, that you do want to keep an eye that, that you are, you know, irrigating and that that media is getting at least some water around in that root area as well. So when you are transplanting those, you know, just make sure that that your roots are below the surface because obviously you're going to get you can get some um, some localized drying right at the top of that where evaporation is is impacting that water content as well. So you know, making sure that you do get uh, you know at least one, two, or three very small irrigations in there to help those roots start to seek out and chase that water down through the substrate. Usually a three, one percent evenly spaced out in the day should be enough. You know, start with one, go to two as you get see a little more dry back. Three, you're pushing it a little more. And uh, after that, you'll be able to start steering. Un- unfortunately enough, uh, excuse me, fortunately enough, uh, new, uh, our substrates these days are mostly high quality. You know, when we're looking at something like cocoa and rockwool, they do have pretty good hydraulic conductivity properties, and that's definitely going to help uh, avoid a, a localized dryout in that small red zone. That's perfect, guys. Thank you so much for answering. I appreciate it. You bet. Yeah, thanks, thanks for asking, dude. Yeah, thanks for asking, Shark Mouse Farms. And if you can stick around after the broadcast, I'm going to get your contact info so we can send you a hat. Yes. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Awesome. Okay, so I have another question here from Instagram. This is from Real California Herbs. You just mentioned substrate. It's a perfect segue. They want to know, how can I minimize algae growth on my rock wool? Don't use organics. This is going to be the number one way to avoid it. Um, you can use a, a small amount of like you know, hypochlorous acid or something in your, in your feed lines uh, as well to keep those things clean. Um, and you can, you know, you can use a a topper on your rock wool block. The, the thing that I don't get too invested in avoiding algae, at least on the rock wool block itself, is it really doesn't have a lot of negative impacts. You know, sure, it might be eating up a small amount of the nutrients that you're providing there, but but the overall impact to the plant isn't nearly as uh, as bad as things like, you know, pythium or red aphids or, or other types of, 
liabilities that we, we really should be spending our time targeting in there. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is kind of like the fungus gnat conversation, really. It's uh, how bad does the algae bother you? Because it doesn't bother the plant very much at all, really. <laughs> algae, unless you are overwatering to the point where you've got fungus growing on your algae, then we got a whole different scenario there. That means you're probably a little too humid in the room, among other things. Excellent. Great. So I have two more questions here from our Instagram community, but I do want to give a shout out to folks who are on with us today. Please let us know if you have any questions. Now's the time. Type them in the chat. And uh, we want to address those live these, with our two experts here. So the chemical growers submitted two questions. There's the first one. Is it possible to steer the crop based on change of NPK? So going throughout flower, we do do a little bit of change. You know, we drop some nitrogen because we don't want to use nitrogen to push stretch. Um, but that is not going to steer our plant alone. Using only nutrient changes and EC changes to steer the plant does have some effect. However, it's the combination of that along with the irrigation practices that actually produces the, uh, you know, biochemical responses we want out of the plant that end up creating our ideal structure. And uh, kind of to add on that is it's probably a lot easier just to apply good crop steering practices than it is to tailor your NPKs exactly right for, for the plant age. Um, so I always try to do the easiest stuff first. That's a good rule of thumb. Yeah. Okay. And then their second question, um, does high N levels, 150 greater in generative stage, will decrease second metabolites? Uh, one more time for us, please. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm thinking they're meaning, do high N levels of 150 or greater in the generative stage, will that decrease second metabolites? Are we talking, and I guess maybe you don't know this, Keisha, but uh, during stretch, so are, you know, first generative phase or during ripening? Let's because cover both. So in stretch, you're going to have, you know, decently high levels of nitrogen anyways because we're building plant structure. If we're pushing <clears throat> high nitrogen or nitrate levels later on through bulking and later, we are actually giving the plant a signal to stretch because nitrogen acts as a plant growth regulator in higher concentrations. That's part of why we pull it out of the mix, you know, around week four or five. We really start backing off on the nitrogen. Um, and yeah, exactly. I mean, that's kind of, uh, if you go back like 10 years, 15 years, there's the old, <laughs> people used to use the term commercial weed a lot. And that's what a lot of it was, was people running one, one nutrient mix, usually something that was kind of, a, kind of cheap and from a general horticultural supply place and just pushing it through saying, Hey, we can run this one, one mix all the way through. We get product. <laughs> it may not be exactly what we want, but it works and we're pushing it out. So if you want our opinion, it's probably, you know, back to what Jason said, stick with what's simple, you know? follow the directions. They're, they're there for a good reason. Got to protect that quality, right? It's the goal. Yeah. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. um, th that was my last question for the day. I don't know if anybody else who's on has anything else, but Seth, Jason, anything else you want to say? Um, well, we're super excited about this dry module coming up. I don't know if you could tell that with Jason going on about it, but, um, we are really excited to get that out to people and have uh, more interaction in Arroyo with the post-harvest process. Yeah, that's exciting. I, it was really exciting to hear little teasers last week 
Um, oh, Shark Mouse, thank you so much. Yeah, glad to hear you. Anything you want to say? You want to speak to that? I love getting people to unmute. <laughs> Shark Mouse Farms wrote a very nice message here in the chat. You guys are awesome for doing this for us. We're happy to happy to do it. Happy to help our grow community. I'm liking his avatar. That's pretty sweet there, little mouse with the fin on it. <laughs> I'm a fan. I'm like, I don't want to, I don't be too much of a fangirl, but I love that Instagram, Shark Mouse Farms. Um, yeah, no, it's really exciting. This is such a fun time for us. We really look forward to these um, sessions every week and, you know, we're here to help. So um, it looks to me like we're going to wrap it up. So Seth, Jason, thank you again so much for yet another great conversation. Cultivation team, Shark Mouse Farms, hold tight for just another couple of minutes. But thank you to everybody uh, for joining Office Hours Live this week. Um, if you have any questions about Arroyo, how it can be used to improve your cultivation production process or any other topic you'd like to cover, as for, for us to cover in a future episode, you know, please let us know in the chat. Send us an email to support.arroyo.metergroup.com or send us a DM over Instagram. We definitely want to hear from you. Um, we record every session. We'll email everyone in attendance the link to the video from today's discussion. It'll also live in the Oreo YouTube channel, please do like, subscribe, and share while you're there. And if you find these conversations helpful, do share them with your network and spread the word. So we'll look forward to seeing you all next time. Thanks, Keisha. Everyone have Thanks, a good day. Guys. Bye, everyone. Have Thanks, Keisha. Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at Arroyo.io.